Welcome to the Apologies Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Whistle-Fenton. I created this podcast to promote collective healing and repair. Each episode, I invite my guests to share an apology that they've been carrying. The only rule is that it has to be for a person they are no longer in contact with. My dream is that at least some of these apologies might actually reach their intended recipients. I also hope this podcast reinforces the idea that as different as we may seem, we're all just people and we all carry stuff. So with each guest, we'll first spend some time just learning who and how they are before hearing their apology. Today, we'll be talking with Hunter Donia. Hunter is a digital educator who teaches beauty professionals how to streamline, automate, and elevate their processes in their businesses through ADHD-friendly business education. In 2020, he was recognized by Beauty Launchpad as the youngest up-and-coming hair colorist, and in 2021, he was named Modern Salon's Top 100 and 15 Faces of Sola. He's also presented at industry conferences across the nation. Hunter's currently based out of the greater Philadelphia area. He enjoys hanging out with Jenna, his cat, traveling, and going to music festivals and concerts in his free time. Hunter, welcome to the Apologies podcast. Hi, Lindsay. How are you? I'm so good. I'm sad that we're just recording audio because people can't see how awesome you look right now. I'm like I told you before we started recording, I wish I had upped my game a little, but thankfully no one can see that. So for all everyone listening knows, we both look amazing right now. Thank you so much. Very much likewise. I appreciate that. So we've gotten a little bit of your professional background in the intro, but give us a little glimpse into who you are as a person. Who is Hunter? Who am I as a person? Like I have like a really toxic trait of like completely identifying myself as like my career. So like, I don't even know. So let's explore together. <laughs> um, I am a crazy ass 24 year old gay man with ADHD who loves to travel, who loves concerts and music, who loves to spend time with family and my friends, who loves to ski, play chess and who absolutely is obsessed with being an entrepreneur. That's who I am. I love this. I think this gives us a lot to go on. Cool. So you sort of have two facets to your professional self these days. You have the styling part and then the education part. Let's start with the earlier aspect of your career, which was styling. How did you get into this? Yeah. So speaking of like Hunter as a person is like definitely how I actually got into my career, my industry and how I got so obsessed with it all. So I was about 15, 14, 13, like around that. I think I came out of the closet when I was like 13 or 14 as, as gay. And around that time I was really excited to come out because I was so excited to like finally just show up as exactly who I was. I remember thinking like, oh my God, like I'm so excited to not have to like justify why I'm doing something girly because like, it's like, because I'm gay, you know what I mean? So I always wanted to like play with Barbies when I was younger. I always liked the girly things like the pink colors and all the traditional feminine things, right? And I was always like suppressed of them because of being a boy and like because of societal pressure, all the things. And I eventually, once I came out, I was like, boom, I'm wearing makeup. I'm putting on girls clothes. I'm wearing weird jewelry. I'm like coloring my hair every week. And I really fell in love 
with using myself as a canvas to express who I was on the outside from the inside. Right. So like I loved doing makeup. I like got really obsessed with doing makeup. And like, I started like learning with like the very small amount of YouTube videos that were out at the time. And I started to like DIY box color my hair, like every other week, my teachers would be like, it's a game of what's Hunter's hair color going to be next week, you know? (laughs) So even from that young age, I just was like exploring so much of my own personal identity on the outside. And I had learned about this vocational program that my high school had, which I am so privileged and grateful to have had the opportunity to go to. And they had a cosmetology program that you could start in your sophomore year. And I was super excited about it. And I was like, that is 100% what I'm going to do. And so I started in my vocational program in my sophomore year of high school. And it was the first place that I ever felt absolutely 100% celebrated for who I was and how I expressed myself. I was like, this is the space that I need to be in, right? Furthermore, what I eventually realized was now I was going to be able to learn the gift of helping others express who they were on the inside, on the outside, right? Like the same thing that has helped me feel so validated in myself and helped me celebrate myself and show who I was to the world. I'm now learning and have the capability to be able to do that to other people and help other people. And that was really like the beginning of it all and why I became so absolutely obsessed with this industry because it really gave me such a space to thrive and grow as a person who identifies as what I identify as and how I express myself, where I can feel safe, celebrated, comfortable, and I can thrive and be successful. And so before I graduated high school, I got my cosmetology license. So that was a great accomplishment. And I've been working in a salon since I was 16 years old. And I did the hairstyling thing at a salon. And then I opened up my own salon suite and now I'm educating other hairstylists about how to run a successful business. And so you talked about how wonderful it was for you to discover this really vocation for yourself and that it gave you such an outlet for self-expression. And I always think it's so interesting with stylists and with people in the beauty industry because you're kind of also psychologists and that not just, you know, what people are talking to you about in the chair, but like how you feel about how you look at any given time. It really has an effect on how you walk out in the world. So what if you have a client who isn't feeling great about themselves? Maybe they're just like, they're in a funk with their hair and they want to get some new energy. Like how do you navigate that conversation of exploring what to do with this canvas before you? This is a great question. So uh, literally two days ago, I was talking to another girl in my salon that I work at now because I am like in a team salon again, just working one day a week. And we were talking about it and I said, we are not managing people's hair. We are managing people's voids and their self-expression. Like that's what we're doing here. Like that's literally what we're doing. And there's a book out there. It's called Psy Cosmetologists. And it's really fascinating. The psychologist who ended up writing this book, they had a client who came in and this client was like dating this boy, I guess. And the patient asked the psychologist, should I ask this boy whether or not we're like exclusive or like, or are we boyfriend, girlfriend? Like what's the tea? And the psychologist said, yes, like you should ask him. And then she went to her hairstylist and then the hairstylist said, no, don't do that. 
And then she listened to her hairstylist. And it was just so fascinating to the psychologist that he decided to like study this industry and study the relationships between the hairstylist and the client as to why is there such this strong, insane bond and this crazy trust between this person and another person. And this is furthermore why I'm intensely, insanely passionate about this industry is because I believe that we make such wild impact in our local communities because of the power that we wield just because of the nature of what we do. We touch people, right? People literally trust us to touch them like for hours at a time, right? People trust us to change a a very like permanence, the wrong word, but like a very like attached part of your physical body. Like we are literally changing something. You are trusting us with that. And hair is so important in so many different ways to so many different people. And there's a lot of psychology that goes into what happens when that type of relationship and that type of trust is formed. Right. So oftentimes people are coming to us with whatever they're feeling in the background, right? Whatever their situation is in the background. And oftentimes they're looking to remedy that or express it in one way or another. And a lot of the time that happens with their hair. So we are these like trusted advisors that not only offer, you know, help with their physical appearance and like whatever it may be, but also helping them fill their emotional needs for whatever they feel like they need in the moment. And so it's important to me as a hairstylist, this is how I approach things. So of course I'm going to be biased and I'm going to think that this is how everybody should approach it. I think it's really important that I never, like if I have a client sit in my chair and they say like, do whatever you want to me. I never do that ever. (laughs) I I do not do that. I sit down and I look at them and I say, okay, so you want me to make your hair neon green? (laughs) Like, it's like, no, that's not what's going to happen. What I do is, is I ask people, what have you had in the past? Like, what is, what are you feeling about your hair right now? Like, what are you feeling like about what is on your head? And like, what do you wish would be happening with your head right now? And I kind of bring it back to them and I bring it back to like being realistic and, and taking their own experience and their own actual like feelings and awareness of like what's on their head instead of like trying to like chase this dream of like something completely different. How has your career sort of evolved from more styling into what you're doing these days? Yeah. So, so I started as a brand educator. So I like for a company, I started training to be a color educator at the age of 19. So I was probably like a year licensed and I just like went for it. And I was like a baby in this room of other like powerful, amazing speakers. So I I started educating for a brand for a while and I loved, I loved it. I loved So going back to like, I really believe that we make a massive impact in our own community. I loved that I was going to a much larger domino set, you know? So I think about like what we do and when we make impacts is like a domino effect. Like when I make my client feel good, then they are going to go home and make their family feel good. Right. Because they're going to be able to show up as the best selves. And that like, that keeps going that like radiates. Right. So like when I'm able to like help a hairstylist, so show up even better for their clients, like, That impact is just, if you think about how much that multiplies, like, I just think that is so freaking fascinating and so cool. And I'm so privileged and honored to be able to do it. And I get excited thinking about it. And so I I started getting into it because I just would see like these educators who would teach us and just how much of an impact they were making on me and like how I was able to show up for other people. And I was like, I want to do that for people. So I started as a color educator And I found that every single time that I was teaching color, it always came back to the conversation that the stylist has to have with the client. It was like, 
okay, we were having like a blonding class, right? But like, they would always have questions about like, okay, but what if the client doesn't like this? What if the client likes this? What if they have unrealistic expectations? And I was like, this is all majoritively about your communication and how you are approaching your business and how you are interacting with humans on a day-to-day basis. And so I fell really in love with the business side of things because I just realized that like, there's no hairstyling. There's no doing all these techniques and all this stuff if there's no business in the first place. And being a, starting really young, you know, and also growing up in a pretty privileged situation, I didn't really understand like the money going in and out of a business, especially when I started at 16 in the salon. And then once I started educating and I started going to other salons and like seeing these stylists and like how much more they wanted for themselves or how burnt out they were or how they kind of wished possibly that they chose a different career. I don't have the specific statistics about this, but a massive majority of people who get into this industry after licensure, after paying for beauty school, after taking the test, after putting in the work, they will end up eventually leaving this industry to go do something else because they don't find financial and wealth fulfillment or sustainability even in this career because they don't have the business education because that's just not what a trade is is expected to learn it's and up until you know 20 years ago it's always just been like about the experience it's like it's just like you just like show up and pe- you grow your business with word of mouth. And like if you're a really experienced person who's been in it for 20 years or if you have a great mentor who you work under, you'll be fine and it'll be great. But things have changed a ton in the past 20 years and the standard is a lot higher and there's a lot more opportunity for somebody to create a massive, amazing career for themselves. And so I never want anybody to feel like they have to leave this industry now because they don't have the education to be able to create like a sustainable situation for themselves where they have the insurance that they need, where they have the money that they need to survive. And they have the time freedom that they need to have like work-life balance without like burning themselves into the ground, you know? I am so grateful and privileged for what this industry has done for me. And I would hate to have ever felt like I needed to leave because I wasn't equipped with the tools to run a successful business. And so after realizing like the majority of all of this stuff is actually how we connect with humans and how we run our businesses, I decided that's what I wanted to start teaching. And that's how I got into it. Although your resources are targeted to like a beauty professional audience, so much of what you share is applicable to other industries. So I just want to share with everyone listening, like I follow you. I have learned a lot of great strategies for marketing and professional boundary setting and just like people skills. So I think what you're doing is great and is also relevant to a lot of folks. Thank you. And the thing is, is that's, it's fascinating that you say that because like I said, like our trade, our industry, we traditionally never have had business education before, right? And so what I do is, is I go and look at these other industries, Fortune 500 companies, and I take from them, right? I see what these people are doing outside of our industry, and then I bring it back into it. And so that's why it's so good for everybody at the end of the day is because it is applicable. It's, you know, capitalism is capitalism and business is business, right? So like, I just, I just look at what the strategies are that everybody else is doing. And then I make it relevant to our industry, right? And I add my own spin on it and I make it so that way it's huntified. And you do a lot of huntified things. You have your social media presence, e-courses, and then one of your many endeavors, you have the Modern Hairstylist podcast. I wanted to talk about the podcast because there is a lovely episode of this podcast 
in which you get real and vulnerable about your experience of having ADHD, both like in your personal life and the beauty industry. So if it's cool with you, I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it too. It's another one of those things that it's like, everything goes back to, this is why I'm saying like I identify so much with my career because every single part of my personal being like ends up, it's like it it completely naturally put me into my career, like including my ADHD. So what I've learned with having ADHD is I need things to hold me accountable. So with hairstyling, it was so great for me for so many different reasons. Number one, it's so engaging. It takes so much of like your, your brain power to be able to focus on it. And so there's so much simulation. There's so much like dopamine release when it's happening. And there's a client right in front of you. Like there's no getting out of that. There's no procrastinating it. Like there's somebody who has a scheduled appointment with you. Like you have to show up and you have to do it. And so, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's do ADHD. You talked about you as a kid and there's a line that cracked me up. You said you were a menace as a child. So give us a little bit more about what, what little kid menacing Hunter was like. I was the devil. Like I was awful. Like I was so bad because I was just like all over the place all the time. And I was like super expressive and I was also like gay. And that was also probably like a whole part of it as well too. I was like acting out because I didn't feel like I was accepted in society for exactly who I was. Right. And so on top of that, the ADHD just was like, I was running around. I was extremely hyper. I was always looking for attention. I was always looking for the next thing. I could never focus on what was right in front of me. And so what that ends up doing to you as a child is, is you're told to like, stop. And you're like, you're told that there's something wrong with you. You're told that you, uh, or you think you create stories that like, you're not good enough or you're not as smart as other people. And you're labeled. Exactly. And you're labeled as like, especially I'm, I'm glad that there's more awareness, but there was not nearly enough awareness. And there still isn't about like just neurodivergency in general and like ADHD specifically as well, too, especially in, in, uh, cis women as well, too. That's, that's another, Oh, we're going to talk about that. (laughs) Very much so. Um, and so I was lucky that my, my second grade teacher recommended my parents that I get evaluated. And so I'm very grateful that that happened to me because it really was able to put things into perspective for my parents. We were able to, like approach what my situation was from like a aware perspective, you know, you know, don't get me wrong. It still affected me throughout school and for the rest of my life and still does to this day. But having the awareness is something that I'm extremely privileged to have and grateful to have had at that young age. And then medication was a part of that as well, too. So it helped me get through my get through school as much as I possibly could. So you hit on something that I also want to follow up on, which was ADHD and cis women. And so I'm going to try not to hijack this or talk too much, but I do want to share some of my experience as well, because I think you and I are kind of on opposite ends of the ADHD spectrum, because yes, there is a spectrum and there's a lot of different types and subtypes of ADHD and they do not all look the same. So I think it's important to understand what those differences can look like. So you were describing, I feel like how it showed up for you is like what a lot of people think of when they think of ADHD. And so I wasn't diagnosed until I was in my twenties and I was diagnosed with ADHD in attentive. So essentially ADHD without the hyperactivity. So my struggles manifested as distractibility and constant daydreaming or, or what was labeled as daydreaming. But because it wasn't disruptive, the way that hyperactivity can be, 
it took a long time for people to notice. And it was actually really funny looking back on like my old report cards before I had this diagnosis. Like if I had a nickel for every inconsistent effort or like has the ability but needs to apply herself and I still got good grades. I was on the honor roll and all that mainly because I developed coping skills. And so what had happened to me was basically at the point that I sought diagnosis and eventually got some treatment was because I was struggling at my first job. And as the practitioner who diagnosed me explained like those coping skills and strategies I had developed to get me through school and to perform pretty well at school, just like weren't translating well into professional world. And then, you know, I got treatment, I got medication. I had to experiment with some different types, but things are great now. But I've always wondered like how much easier school and just other things could have been if someone would have spotted that earlier. But I do think cis women tend to get overlooked, especially if they're inattentive and not hyperactive. So I just want to make sure that people listening to this understand that no matter what type you have, your brain does just act differently. Because as you said, there's a lot of just like self doubt and, you know, things that can come up when you have this. And I feel like on my side, it was almost people doubt your diagnosis because Mm. you're not presenting as being all over. So I remember like when I first started on medication, I actually had someone very close to me where I said, man, this has really helped me. Uh, They came back with kind of like, well, I mean, are you sure you really need it? And like, that's so damaging. Like you, when you finally feel like you've gotten some answers. So for anybody out there listening who is on any component of the neurodivergent, but especially ADHD spectrum, like it's not in your head, you're not being lazy or stupid or whatever. And so I'll wind down and stop yapping. But in your podcast, as we've been talking about, this is about your brain functioning differently. And you shared a description of ADHD that I think you said you borrowed from TikTok. And again, we're not medical professionals. Like I'm a filmmaker. You're a stylist and educator. Like, you know, take this all with a grain of salt. But like, I think for what it's worth, um, you shared something about how you had come to understand how ADHD functions. I'm wondering if you could share that with us. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I mean, TikTok has probably just like reinforced the idea because you know how TikTok goes. But I remember like reading this and like learning about it like at a younger age, like when TikTok wasn't even around. And it was like, it's still such a controversial thing where it's like a lot of like medical professionals like still don't have like a fully clear like, yes, this is what ADHD is from my understanding. Again, grain of salt. We have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) Um, And by the way, thank you so much for sharing that. I really, really appreciate you sharing that story with us. Um, so here is the scientific and medical theory that feels very validating to me. And it truly makes sense to me. Okay. Our brains as people with ADHD, ADD, whatever you want to, whatever, okay. Whatever, wherever you are on the spectrum, whatever it is, is that we don't get dopamine reward chemical release as easily as other people do. So for example, even though like they're surface level boring things like getting taught in a classroom, right? For a neurotypical person who does not have ADHD, they will get a little bit of dopamine reward just by learning and listening to a teacher, to a presentation. Like they'll get a little bit of something to keep them on track, to keep their attention, right? For us, like 
it's just completely like missing the mark. Like we are not getting that reward, right? And so we have behavior that is always searching for a different dopamine release because it's not giving us any natural satisfaction to our brains that's telling us like you are doing the right thing. You feel good. You are good. You're being fulfilled right now. You're being satisfied. We're not getting that feeling because with that chemical is not being released from that basic activity. So then we're going to be talking to our our friends during class. We're going to be doodling. We're going to be fidgety. We're going to be shaking our legs, right? Because we're not feeling fulfilled or satisfied with whatever the, whatever's happening in front of us right now. Even when I'm at concerts, I will be thinking about the next step. I'll be thinking about like what the next song is that's going to play, right? And it really is a shame how much it shows up in even those spaces for me where it like doesn't allow me to enjoy what's going on right in front of me. I have to be like super aware of like practicing like meditation, grounding myself, being in the moment very consciously and very consistently to be able to enjoy things in the moment a lot of the time. Cause I'm always just thinking about the next dopamine release. Like that is like what it is to me. And like that, that theory, that medical theory, it absolutely makes the most sense to me. And I, and it also look just so we all are aware again, don't, this is yeah. not serious. We're Everything just, we're saying is wrong. We're just like creative people. It's just lived experience. But I wanted you to share that because I'd actually never heard it explained that succinctly. And I was like, oh my gosh, that makes total sense. And I love what you were sharing about how it shows up for you because there are so many behaviors that I think can be viewed as inconsiderate or like straight up rude that are very strongly linked with ADHD. One, I will raise my hand. I struggle with a ton is time blindness, which is essentially exactly what it sounds like. It means you struggle with like this ability to accurately perceive time or like you can't estimate like how long things take and one of the outcomes it can lead to is like chronically being late and I know this drives people in my life crazy (laughs) and as someone who considers herself to be like an empathic caring person it like really 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 bothers me that people perceive this as a lack of caring because I want to be like no you have no idea the measures I tried to take to not be late and it like still happens so like I really 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 try and so one of that's one of my biggies but like if you're okay sharing like what are some of your doozies? Like, so I'm, I'm chronically late. So I am, I'm very messy. I don't think about where I'm putting things or where I'm placing things as I'm going along because I'm always thinking about the next step, a great explanation. Okay. So this is what I got from TikTok. And I was like, Oh my God, this is me. So there was somebody on TikTok and they were like, okay, this is what ADHD feels like. And it was like a company with a video and like scenes, right? It feels like you wake up in the morning and you're like, okay, I'm going to go make my morning coffee. And you're walking over to the coffee pot and then you're like, oh, wait, but I have to like do my dishes really quickly. So then you walk over to the dishes and then you're like, oh, wait, but I have to like go feed my dog. So then you like go feed your dog instead. And then you haven't done anything that you thought that you were supposed. It's like you're always thinking about the next thing before you actually finish the first thing. Right. That's what I got from TikTok. <laughs> I actually call that one more thing. itis because that's also why I am so late all the time because I'll be like on my way out and then I'll see oh I needed to take the garbage out or like oh I just needed to put this book away or something and there's always like that one more thing so I think both of those are essentially the same thing sure absolutely 100% that's one more thing I does that's so funny so yes I've had a really difficult time navigating like I need to take responsibility for my actions and how they affect other people. And then how do I be gentle with myself at the same time? You know, like how do I validate myself in the fact that like I do struggle with ADHD and the symptoms of that, right? But also make sure that I'm taking responsibility for my actions and then showing up in the best way that I possibly can for the people that I care about, right? 
So like, for example, my ex-boyfriend, he has OCD and like, it's very uh, stereotypical diagnosed OCD. It's very much like, I like a very clean spotless house. If like a job is like halfway finished, then he will like freak out. It like has a lot of anxiety unless it's completely fully seen through. And so me being ADHD as hell, living in that house for four years was like an extremely fascinating experience. And you know what? It really made me aggressively aware of my own ADHD. And it was a blessing that it happened. Like it was so polar opposite for me. And it really made me look at myself in the mirror. And it just showed me like all of my behaviors and made me like understand my behaviors. It was a fascinating experience. And so what I would go through though, with those emotions is like, I would see how he, and this happens to I can guarantee this happens. This happens to at least a million times to everybody who has ADHD. Okay. Is that the other person who is being inconvenienced, they take it extremely as they should take it extremely personally. And they feel like, well, they feel like, well, why didn't you think about how this affects me? Like you're doing, it seems like you're doing this to me on purpose. Like that's how other people perceive like what we oftentimes do. So like my ex-boyfriend, for example, like he would feel really offended. Like he'd be really upset that he'd feel like it was ignorant and it kind of was ignorant, you know, but it, it just like, it's like so hard to explain how difficult it is and how un- and how unintentional and completely unaware you are in that moment. The amount of times I have cried and route to meet people because I'm late again is like I don't understand how all of like like it's just as much a mystery to me why I cannot be on time. I think this is also a thing that happens is like because ADHD, it's like a joke. Like I know so many people are like, oh, it's just my ADHD. And it's like, okay, I know they're not like clinically ADHD and like, it doesn't really bother me. But like, I do think that kind of does decrease this, like the seriousness that people take when we say like, we are really trying here. Cause they're like, well, everybody has trouble focusing. I'm like, no, it's not just that. It's like all of these other things. And so I feel like to your point, there's like a balance of communication where it's like, this is not an excuse but it is an explanation. And it's like, you know, I've had that conversation with people. It's like, if you were going to be in my life, these are probably some of the behaviors that are going to drive you crazy. And like, I am self-aware and I will do my best. Yes. <laughs> and this is how my brain is wired. Right. Absolutely. It's how the brain is wired. And so when I was in that relationship and living with him, like, I mean, he had the opposite problem. Right. So it was always like him taking a moment to understand my experience and be gentle with my experience and be understanding my experience, but also expecting me to be trying my best to mitigate my, my ignorance that stems from my ADHD. Right. And then vice versa. Like if he's having like an OCD fit and like, he is like going on a rampage cleaning at that through the house at like 1130 PM. Right. Then like, it was important for me to understand, like he doesn't want to be like this. Like he, he, he's not, he's not purposefully doing this and like he's struggling right now. He doesn't want to be up at freaking midnight, like running around and like cleaning. Like, so it was, it, 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 but you know, but I would like to see like him be taking actions to take care of himself, to feel better about himself and to like not have these fits and to also make my existence a little bit less miserable at midnight. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's been a fascinating balance my entire life of making sure that I'm understanding this is how my, I like that you said, this is how the brain is wired and I'm going to try my best to show up for myself and to learn how to take care of myself and show up better for myself and other people and take responsibility for my actions, but not like 
hate myself and think like, I literally multiple times, I said this to myself so many times when I lived with him, I was like, I don't even think I'm like worthy of like living with another person. Like, I don't think that they're, I don't think it's like fair for me to like have a roommate because I don't believe that I'll ever be able to be a good roommate to somebody. Like that is like the narrative that I had in my head. And like, that's so like, not the truth. Yeah. But it, it can get, it's hard. Like I also like, let's talk about hyper-focus um, because this is something I think people really don't get if they're not familiar with ADHD. Yes. Because I think people think ADHD is strictly an inability to focus, but from my non-expert, again, understanding, I think it's more accurately like an inability to regulate focus, which means that if you fall into an activity that captures your focus, it could literally like take a hurricane to shift your attention. You know, like, I started trying to do puzzles for COVID anxiety. I would start a puzzle, like ironically to help with anxiety. And I might start this out as like a fun activity and fast forward to like 3.30 a.m. when I normally go to bed at 9.30 because I can't walk away until I have finished this freaking puzzle. So One million yes. Okay, so it's funny. Literally two days ago, I was talking to a client of mine about this specific topic. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how they would not have identified somebody having ADHD. Like they would have ruled that out because they have seen that person be able to be hyper-focused on something, like crazy unbreakable focus on something. And that's why I excel so much in what I do is because I'm aggressively passionate about it. And going back to the medical theory that I subscribe to, which is it's the, it's like this dopamine release, right? So it's almost, and I, I feel like it's inappropriate to like compare it to addiction. Like that's a much more serious thing, but like in in broad, I get where you're going. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, it's almost like binging on this dopamine release. It's like, I just found something that releases a F ton of this reward chemical. So I'm going to go ham on this. Right. Like that's what ended up happening with my work. Like, and this is how I view my own personal experience. Again, I, at this point of my life, right. Like, I look back at how how my ADHD has steered me in the right directions because of focusing on the things that really truly bring me joy and not allowing like societal pressure to push me into something that I just felt forced to do because that's what you do. Right. Like I would have maybe just like done really okay in school and like gone to college to do some job that I hate if it wasn't for my ADHD, like pushing me to like only focus on the things that actually bring me joy. And so I kind of look at it as almost like a superpower. I feel like it like allows me to show up better for myself as a human being. I I genuinely to this day believe that there are so many pros to it, not to lessen how it affects me and other people, like not to like go down on that. Right. But you have to have this perspective. And I think it's the truth. It's the truth in my own experience. I do like the reframing of it as like this friendly guide that is directing you to things that fill you up and bring you joy. But I, yeah, there's still a struggle. And like you said, I think I'm a big believer of the and like there are fantastic gifts and there's still a struggle and those things live side by side. So for someone else who's listening to this, who has ADHD or a similar like neurodivergent condition and is like trying to find their, I don't like the like gifts thing, but like see it as their superpower. Like what message would you give to someone who's in that space right now? 
my message would be like, if you're in a space or having experience where you are able to follow whatever your brain is like naturally allowing you to like wanting you and pushing you to follow, like just follow it. And life is really effing short. <laughs> life is life is way too short. And I know it's corny and I know it can sometimes be annoying to say, but life is really freaking short. And you don't have enough time on this earth to allow society and like how everything has been set up for us to stop you from loving exactly who the F you are and tuning into your gifts and how you show up into the world and showing up for yourself. It's just not worth it. And so just know you're not alone. There are so many people on this earth who are experiencing exactly what you experience and you will find your way. And if it does take work, it takes consciousness and awareness to be able to take what you have and make it a superpower. But if you're willing to put in a little bit of work and be and have that awareness, then you can create a beautiful life for yourself. And then on the flip side, what would you say to someone listening who is in a relationship of any kind, whether that's romantic, professional friendship with a person who has ADHD or some other neurodivergent condition that's similar? I would say keep listening to uh, conversations like this. That's what I would say. I would say I listened to my podcast episode. Like I, I think I remember at the beginning of that podcast episode that I talk about ADHD. I said this is going to be really good for you if you know somebody with ADHD. Like because it really helps you understand. Like what like conversations like this allow that person who doesn't have that experience to understand what is going on in in their brain, right? And don't don't sacrifice your own happiness or your own standards for somebody else, but try and be understanding in the process. So after this really fun conversation, we now entered apology time. So Hunter, what apology would you like to share? So (laughs) do you ever like, randomly like just like all of a sudden this like cringe moment in your life comes into your brain and you're like oh I wish that didn't happen or like oh I wish I didn't say Um, it that's why I have this podcast (laughs) so I did I did think of this specific moment and so I was like I was younger I was I was I had to be like in high school and I was at this Applebee's and I don't know if everybody knows I was at a restaurant is Applebee's like everywhere I think it is yeah okay so we were at the Applebee's. It was like me, my, my friend, and then her like little brother. So we were like these kids at this, at this table and the restaurant was extremely busy. And the server was definitely like short with us. And she was like running behind, like with getting us our stuff. And like, we were just like little bratty kids and we were all pissed off about it. So I didn't leave a tip at all. And I think I left like some like sassy note on the receipt, like with the pen or something like that. And I look back, especially being a freaking service provider now, like I look back and I'm like, what like a little asshole I was like that probably was like that probably that server was probably already stressed, already overwhelmed. And like that was just like probably the cherry on top that that person needed, you know. And so looking back, I truly, really wish that I did not do that. My friend, if you if you happen to be listening to this, any server out there, I love you. I appreciate you. You are very appreciated. And people can be really assholey and rude, but because they're ignorant to the situation in the moment. And so that's exactly what I was being. And so I very much apologize. Hunter, thank you so much for being here and sharing yourself and your apology with us. Thank you so much for freaking having me. This was a fantastic conversation. Hunter Donia is a digital educator for beauty professionals based out of the greater Philadelphia area. 
To learn more about Hunter's work and to hear additional episodes from this podcast, visit apologies-podcast.com. I'm Lindsay Whistle-Fenton. Thank you for being here for this episode of the Apologies Podcast. If you haven't already yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. And then if you want to go an extra mile, it would be so helpful if you would rate and review this series on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts because of the algorithms and all the things. It helps other people find the podcast, which gives us a bigger pool of connections to make as we embark on this journey of healing. The Apologies Podcast is a production of Empathic Media, LLC. It's hosted, produced, and edited by me, Lindsay Whistle-Fenton, with music by Taizo Audio. If you have an apology you'd like to share, and you'd like to be considered to be a guest on the Apologies Podcast, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out by going to apologies-podcast.com contact.